you so much. I'm so glad you guys are here. And uh, what it, it has been, as Bobby said, an incredible summer already, and I'm so grateful. Two weeks ago, we started a series called Joyful, based on the book of Philippians. And so, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Andy unpacked the first chapter. Last week, Pastor Bobby and I online the second chapter. And today, I want to be in Philippians chapter Three. For those of you that are new around here, my name is Chuck, and I have a privilege of being the pastor, and I'm so grateful that you've shared some of your uh, incredibly valuable time with us on this Sunday morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can use uh, an app on any device, or in a minute, they'll have the text on the screen. But in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing this, this letter, and he makes this sharp shift from where he's been writing in chapter 1 and chapter 2 in chapter 3, and he hits life's most valuable lesson. Now, this is true at every stage of life. It is life's most valuable issue and life's most valuable lesson at every stage of life, but most especially if you happen to be a parent or grandparent. This is life's most valuable lesson. Paul gets started off in chapter 3, and here's what he says. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, when I first started in ministry, I served at a church where everybody on staff was called brother or sister somebody. So I was known as Brother Chuck. Can I just stop and say I hated that name? I still hate that name. I feel like it's kind of like calling me Father Chuck. I feel like I need to wear a clerical collar and I need to cross everybody every time I see him, right? It's like, so, so I didn't like it, but the concept of what Paul's saying in Brothers and Sisters in Christ goes back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, the book before. Because in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul makes the statement that when we choose to follow Jesus as a believer, when we choose to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, that God himself, our heavenly Father, literally adopts us into his family and we become joint brothers and sisters, or as the Bible would call it, joint heirs with Jesus himself. So it would be natural in the first century church that you would refer to people as my brother or my sister. Now, over the course of time, that sounds a little funky. I mean, any, like if I'm on an airplane and you happen to see me and you say, hey, brother Chuck, it is like a ripple effect with the people around me that is like, do not talk to him, right? Because that guy is A, no fun, B, he is probably self-righteous, uh, C, if I'm talking with him, I need to use my Jesus voice. Like, it's always amazing when you're a pastor, you get in an elevator. I mean, I, this happened to me at youth camp, by the way. I'm at youth camp, and I'm riding up to my room, and this family of like six people are there, and, and you know, it's teenagers and adults, and the dad on the way up drops an F-bomb on the way. I mean, I'm only going three floors. I'm thinking, it must have been a tough day at the pool. And, and, and so, literally, the kid says, hey, who are you? And I said, hey, I'm Pastor Chuck. <laughs> Dad literally looks at me and he says, sorry about that. I said, you're apologizing to the wrong guy. <laughs> Everything shut down. He looked at me like I had five heads. So, like, 
the, but the brother and sister thing, this is where it comes from, right? Because I chose to follow Jesus as my Savior. I've claimed to be a Christian, a, a follower of Christ. And as a result, what God says he does is he adopts me into his family. This is why we say God the Father. And through God the Son, I have a relationship with God the Father. And he says, because I have a relationship with his son, I get to now be his child, and I'm joint heirs, H-E-I-R-S. Isn't that how you spell it? H-E-I-R-S. Yeah, thank you. And so I get to be a fellow sibling with Jesus himself. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm the black sheep in that sibling relationship. But the fact of the matter is, when he says brothers and sisters, he's not using a term like we would use, hey, brother. He's, he's literally saying, hey, you who are followers of Jesus like me, and as a result, my spiritual brothers and sisters, he says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, he says, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Now, he makes this point right out of the gate to say, hey, I want you to recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. You are a joint heir with Christ. As a result, as a result you should rejoice in every possible way. Like, and stop and think about this. We don't use this term rejoice anytime except Christmas. And when we do, it's usually in a hymn or in some type of spiritual song. Nobody woke up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, rejoice. If you did, you probably were smoking a hymnal last night, right? But the fact of the matter is, rejoice sounds like this. When you wake up, God is waiting on you and he's saying, let's go do some incredible cool stuff so you should rejoice. Are you with me? That was pitiful. You can clearly tell when we've been online only for a week and I come back and what happens is y'all get proper preaching from Pastor Bobby or Andy and then Chuck shows back up and I say, y'all should rejoice and you say, eh, whatever, okay, yeah. So let's try that all over again. So Paul is saying that as followers of Jesus, as joint heirs with Christ, having been adopted into the family of God, you have every reason to wake up this morning and rejoice. What do you say about that? <coughs> we got a long way to go. Then he says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Now, it's important that you notice that dogs is spelled D-O-G-S, not D-A-W-G-S. All right, he's saying, Walk out, watch out for those dogs. And then he says about those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators, and now listen to this term, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, here's how you have to interpret Paul's writings. As a matter of fact, when you read about circumcision, here's what you can always put into context. Remember what I say all the time. If you understand the context that was written, you'll understand the context in which it's meant to be received, right? The context in which it was written was the rule book that the Jewish ruler said, you have to do all these things if you're going to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. One of them being circumcision. And it was one of those things that was widely argued about this. Because what we, this, this whole new world of Christianity at the time was saying, you don't have to be Jewish 
you can be anything you want and come to faith in Christ. And you can or cannot be circumcised. And to them, it was like, <gasps> because it was a big deal. But now Paul is using the term here, and you could rewrite verse 2 that could basically say this. Anything that's between where you are and worshiping Christ alone, that's those mutilating dogs who are layering rules on top of you that are keeping you from experiencing all that Christ has for you. You see, Jesus came to unpack grace upon grace on your life, mercy upon mercy on your life. He did not come to say, here are 600 rules, you got to follow them, and if you don't, then we're, we're never going to be okay. Jesus came to say, and then spoke through Paul, and Paul is reminding us, listen, those folks that are mutilating dogs out there are the ones telling you, you have to join a certain kind of church, and you have to have anything other than Jesus. Are you with me? Because I don't think y'all are with me on that. Because what I just said is one of life's greatest lessons, and that is this. In American Christianity, we turned the rule book into what it is to follow Jesus. But all the while, this text in the work of the scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, teaches us that the only thing you need is Jesus. Because anything else that keeps you from giving your all to Jesus, including the church and the rules, is like a mutilating dog that's separating you from being everything Jesus wants you to be. You say, well, Chuck, I believe Christians shouldn't do this, and I believe Christians shouldn't do that, and I believe Christians shouldn't do this. I, I agree with you, all right? I'm with you. But according to this book, when you get Jesus in the right priority of your life, all those other things are going to take care of themselves. But if you make all those other things the priority, you are missing life's greatest lesson. Because the life's greatest lesson is, are you after Jesus? Not after the rules, not after the church rules, not after trying to look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, walk like a Christian. Because, you know, the old saying, you know, if it, if it, if it walks like a duck and, it, you know, it sounds like a duck, what is it? That is not true for Christianity. But you cannot hide a true faith in Christ and Christ alone. Because it's him shining through you, not you. It is not your goodwill. Paul goes on and he makes a big deal about this. He says in verse 3, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. So in other words, he's saying the weird thing about all the rules is that they don't matter unless you get him right. What, 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 what Paul literally is saying is if you truly want to be a Christ follower, follow Christ. If you truly want to be a worshiper of Jesus, worship Jesus. If you truly want to be the Christian that Christ died for, rose from the dead for, and is sitting beside the right hand of the Father praying for, then all you've got to do is chase after him, Jesus and Jesus alone. But he says, now when this happens, 
When we give our life to Christ, we're the recipient of the third part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the gift we receive is God the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that that very Spirit is how we are to worship. Now, some of us worship in solitude and in quiet. Some of us worship demonstratively. Some of us sing, some of us pray, some of us speak out loud to God. Some, some of us run up and down aisles. But all that matters is are you worshiping by the spirit of the living God? Because if you do not have the spirit of the living God within you, it's only because of one reason that you've never settled that you are a child of the living God adopted into his family because of your faith in Christ Jesus alone. Are you with me? Now, watch this. Paul goes on and he makes this point. He says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Well, what has Jesus done for us? Jesus left the portals of heaven and came to this earth to be born as an infant. Mother, a virgin, father, the spirit of God, born in a stable, not into royalty, chased away into Egypt, lived a sinless, perfect life, taught in the temple at 12, went on and began a ministry healing and teaching And in doing so, then said that he was the perfect lamb of God that would be slain and his shed blood would be for the forgiveness of all of our sin. And then he did indeed give his life for us voluntarily on the cross, buried into a borrowed tomb, promised he would raise three days later, the whole world assuming he's dead as dead can be, and he was. And on that third day, arose out of those burial cloths, pushed that stone away, hung around for 40 days for more than 500 people to witness that, and then departed to sit by the right hand of the Father and is right now praying for you. That's what he did. But why did he do it? He did it so that you could know him. And in doing so, become his brother, his sister, and be adopted into God's family, and you could live in the abundance of God's goodness and God's power here now and in eternity for all time. Now, Paul goes on to say, and I love this, we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then in verses 5 and 6, he goes through all this detail about why he is kind of the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Jew of all Jews, the leader of all leaders, born into the right family, had the right amount of money, wore the right kind of clothes, went to the right kind of school, had the right kind of job, did the right kind of things, said the right things. He was the duck. But then he comes along and in verse 7 says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So let me just stop and ask you again. Do you know what Christ has done? 
He's died for you. He has risen from the dead for you. He is sitting beside God the Father praying for you. And he is offering you the abundant life of God's power and peace right now and heaven for all eternity. Just a little bit, right? And Paul says, all the things that I've had, all the things that I've done, and all the things that I am, I once thought those things mattered, but what I've learned is when I compare them to other people, I'm a rock star. But when I compare them to what Christ has done, they're worthless. Now watch this. This is a great challenge in the American church. The American church spends so much time comparing themselves to other churches or Christians comparing to other Christians. Well, at least I'm not like them. Well, at least I'm not like that. Or at least I'm better than them. Or at least I'm better than him or her. And all the while, we need to measure ourselves the way Paul did. Because to measure ourselves against what Christ has done for us, it's all rubbish. And you can say, but Chuck, I give a million dollars a year to the church. Well, first of all, you aren't giving it to this one. But second, you don't have a dollar amount that counts for diddly compared to what Christ has done for you. Well, Chuck, I've gone on every mission trip you've ever had. That's awesome. But it doesn't count for anything compared to what Christ has done for you. But Chuck, you don't understand. You know how good I try to be? I mean, I don't cuss, I don't chew, I don't dip, and I don't go with girls who do. That didn't come out right. But here's what I'd say to you. Remember what Paul said about the rules? If you don't get Jesus in the right priority of your life, the rules don't count. They don't matter. It's not about trying to walk like a duck and talk like a duck. It is about knowing Christ. Listen to what else he says. In verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of, here it is again, what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, there he goes. This is where Paul just says, boom. I'm throwing the gauntlet down on this one, my Lord. Now, again, know the context in which it was written compared to the context so you can understand it. To say that Jesus was his Lord is to say, he's my boss, he's my owner. Let me just stop and say to you, we Americans don't like that stuff. I mean, there's good reason we don't like it, right? But, But for all that Christ has done, let me just stop and say, he has bought and paid for me time and time and time again because he has washed my sin away through my faith in him and all that Christ has done, died buried, risen again, praying for me now. And I look at this and I think Paul is right. He goes on and and, and he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Now, this, this is where preachers get wonky, all right? If I've lost you, come back here. For those of you that hate preacher talk, this is just for you. You ready? Paul is not saying, give all your belongings to the church. That is not what he's saying. 
charlatans will tell you that's what that text means, but that is not what that text means. What that text is saying is, I am going to prioritize my life to ensure that nothing, including my money and my possessions, nothing stands between me and my walk with Jesus. Because when my walk with Jesus is right, my possessions are now his, and I do with them what he directs me to do with them. Not what a preacher does, not what a priest does, but what he directs me to do with them. Do you see the difference? And so Paul's talking about prioritizing our life. He goes on and he says, not only do I consider all that as garbage so that I could gain Christ, he says, and become one with him. Whew. Remember now, when you choose Jesus, you become his brother or sister. When you choose Jesus, Paul says, I want to become one with him. I, I, want to, I, don't, want to, I don't want to be distant family. I want, to, I want to walk with him and talk with him along life's narrow way. I want to do this life with him. That's my kin. I, I want, we're going to have bunk beds, me and Jesus. We, we're going to talk about stuff that matters. We're, we're going to talk about stuff that I don't think Jesus cares about. And I'm going to learn that he cares about it all. Because I am going to become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, he says, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous, watch this, through faith in Christ. So if you're going to do anything in this lesson that is life's most valuable, it is not about the rules you keep. It is about your desire to walk one with Christ. Listen to me. If you fall in love with somebody, you know what you don't do? Run away from them. You know what you don't do? I'll talk to him maybe a couple Sundays from now. I'll talk to her maybe a couple Sundays from now. I mean, how many of you are married? Let's see your hands. All right. How many of you are happily married? Let's see your hands. How many of you only raised your hand the first time? Okay. So, just checking. You know, when you fell in love, you talk with your, I love you. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. I, I mean, I, I knew I had Jenny when the first time she reached over to my hand, watch this, and she put her thumb right there and did this. You know what that is the unique symbol for? I still got it. Maybe. <laughs> But you know what? We, we, didn't, we didn't say, well, I, 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 might, I might show up next Sunday, but, but on the other hand, I might sleep in. I couldn't wait to talk to her. Still to this day, if I'm traveling or wherever I'm at, we talk. We go over everything that happened today. We, you know why? I can't wait to be with her. You know, because I love her. Listen, Paul is saying, if you want to be one with Christ, get in the game. Know him, walk with him. He said, Chuck, I don't know how. Well, here's what I would encourage you to do. Grab the New Living Testament, te New Living Translation. You can do it on your Bible app for free and read Philippians chapter 3 every day this week. And you say, but Chuck, I don't have that time. You, you can read it four minutes, y'all. I mean, seriously. And you say, well, Chuck, I don't read good. I, you know, I, I'm dyslexic. I can't read. Okay, listen to it. 
Well, Chuck, you know, I don't really listen to Bible stuff. I, I usually listen to 680 The Fan. Well, okay, then you don't get a bunk, bunk bed with Jesus. You, you just stay in the same motel, just in another wing. But it's on you because you can have all of Jesus you want. He goes on and he says, and I love this, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience, listen to this, the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Man, listen to me. I buried a wife, a mom, a dad, and a sister, and I preached all four of their funerals. And I could say about every one of them, I'm going to see you someday soon because you've experienced the power of the resurrection of the dead. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord just as sure as I'm wearing a black shirt. Friend, listen to me. I don't want just the resurrection from the dead. I want the power of the resurrection now. I want to wake up and know that he's with me. I want to wake up and know I'm with him. I want to wake up and know he'll never leave me. I want to know that he is always for me. I want to know that he will fight my battles for me. And I want to know that I can always run to him. And Jesus says, when you count it all as loss and chase after me, I will always be there for you. So here's my question. What in the world are you waiting on? I told the kids at camp, I got a call some years ago and said there was a family in a trailer park that was struggling. So I, I got in my car and I went down the trailer park and I, I went to the door and it was a door that, you know, those, those metal screen doors, but this one didn't have a glass or a screen. It was just a door. And it was open and I knocked on the trailer and this lady comes to the door and she's wearing one of those. Uh, my mother used to wear these on Sunday afternoon. She'd slip her, uh, slip her dress off when she was cooking so she didn't get grease on it. You know, and she wore one of those pink or baby blue nightgowns that had those little silver snaps on it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They're just ugly as sin. And uh, this lady came to the door and I introduced myself. She told me who she was. I, came, I said, can I come in? She said, come on in. And the first thing I noticed how nasty that orange shag carpet was. Y'all remember shag carpet? There were rodents deep down in there somewhere. And I, I walked in and it didn't take me long to figure out that this lady was as broke as Joe's turkey. She didn't have a thing. There, there was no food in the fridge. There's no food in the pantry. Uh, she, her husband had beat her up. He was in lockup because he, he was drunk and he, he got thrown in a, in a DUI tank in Gwinnett County. And so I, I, I walked in and I began talking to this lady by the name of Mary. I don't think we're online right now anyhow. For whatever reason, we can't figure that out. But so it doesn't matter where I'm in the light or not. Y'all can see me. I called some ladies and they filled up her pantry and got clothes for her kids and wasn't long before I said, Mary, has anybody ever told you the story of Jesus? I mean, who hadn't heard the story of Jesus? We live in America. She said, no. I told her the story of what I just told you. And I said, Mary, you, you, you want to trust Jesus today? I said, you don't have to do it for food. We've already got that covered. You don't, don't do it for that. But 
If you, if you want this power of Jesus I'm talking about, it's, it's free. Big old crocodile tears started coming down her cheek. And a few minutes later, I said, Mary, just, just pray with me right here, right now. Just pray with me. Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Jesus, you forgive me my sin. Would you come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior? I want to live for you, not for me anymore. And I want to thank you. You died for me and you rose from the grave for me. And Jesus, I need, it. I need a new life, my life. And she'll never forget it. She's talking to God. She said, my life just sucks. And I was like, she was so serious. I looked at her. I said, Mary, would you like to... Would you like me and my wife to pick you up Sunday and bring you to church? I'd love to baptize you. And she said, I'd love to do that, but I don't have anything to wear. Well, now you tell a man you don't have anything to wear. What do I hear? You mean, like in my house, I don't have anything to wear means I've worn it twice. Right? So I said, oh, sweetie, you just wear whatever you got. It's no big deal. The end of a service, we, we did a come forward invitation. Mary was kind of sitting right back toward the middle over here and I said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, just step out and come right now. And she, I looked out, and I, it hit me instantaneously. Mary didn't have a thing to wear. She'd wearing that same pink nightgown. And the reason I remember her shoes is I remember the flip-flop of them, not because she's wearing flip-flops, but his old pair of men's bass loafers where the glue had undone on one of the heels. And she came down, and being the fool I am, I said, Mary, why'd you come today? She said, because you told me that's what I was supposed to do. And I said, well, did, did you mean business with Jesus? And those crocodile tears came back. I baptized her the next hour. And over the course of the next few months, her kids gave their life to Christ and I baptized them. And she began to experience the power of the resurrected Christ. And you could say, well, that's a, that's a sweet story, Chuck. Isn't that sweet? No, no, you hadn't heard the rest of the story. Mary today is a women's pastor at a church in the southern part of this county. And there's no telling how many other people have experienced the power of the resurrected Christ because of one person that said, my faith matters. So my question is, I wonder how many of you like Mary today would say, I need to settle that in my heart. So I'm going to ask you, would you just stand with me? Just go, y'all stand up. Just everybody stand up. I get up here where you can see me. And if today you say, Chuck, I want to trust Jesus for my life, and I want to ask him into my heart and my soul, I want to do what Mary did, and I want to settle that, just raise your hand right where you're at. Somebody, anybody, amen, amen, amen. I count three so far. Anybody else, come on, anybody else? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything. Just raise your hand. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Father, thank you for these folks who said yes today to you. And I pray as we take communion, we would recognize that your shed blood and your broken body gives us the power of your resurrection. And I pray we would abandon it all just to chase after you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thank you. Have a seat. If you prayed with me today and acknowledge that by raising your hand at the end of communion, I want to ask you when everybody's leaving, just 
stop by and tell me who you are. Let me pray for you. But I'm going to invite you in a minute to come to the tables. They're in the front, they're in the middle, and the back. And if you're wondering, well, Chuck, listen, this service is going long. Communion only takes a few minutes, y'all. But don't miss the significance of it either. It's a high and a holy moment. Surely it's more important than whether you've got a station you get to get to at a church. I mean, listen, I promise you, you participating in the remembrance of Jesus' broken body and shed blood is 10,000 times more important than whether you show up at your class on time next or that you get out of here and beat the rush. So I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come to the whatever table is nearest you. And you just grab one of these little packets, and in the top there's a little, little film that pulls back that's got the wafer, and then a second tab that'll expose the juice. But I fear sometimes that in a church like ours, we make communion secondary, but it's not. If ever there's something primary, it is the remembrance of Jesus' shed blood and his broken body on behalf of the sins of the world. So, no, I'm, I'm not in a rush. I'm, I'm, I'm not in a hurry. This is Jesus' time. It's not worrying about Sunday school time. It's not worrying about I got to get at my station to be in a greeter time. This is Jesus' time. And that crowd in the next hour, they get their Jesus' time. But right now, this is your Jesus' time. And it's time to take Jesus for all he is. I've been the pastor of this church almost 11 years now. And you know what? I've never loved the church more than I love her right now. I've never loved staff like I love his staff right now. I've never loved the people at this church like I do right now. But it's all because I've never loved Jesus. I love Jesus right now. Man, he's the real deal, y'all. He's the real deal. He has literally changed my life. And I don't ever want to stop remembering him. Father, in this moment, let us remember you. And as we come to your table, I pray what we bring to you is our heaviest burdens and we would leave it at your table and would return with the picture of your body and your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and make your way to the tables and bring your elements back to the seat. You go ahead and pull the first film off. Jesus, when he gathered with his disciples in that upper room, describing to them that what was about to happen was going to baffle them, and I can only imagine how baffled they were. How could it be that the son of the living God, the savior of the world, the lamb of God that had come to take away the sins of the world, how could it be that he would die? He could live forever if he wanted to. How could that be? And Jesus saying, but I have to. There has to be the forgiveness of sins and there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood And for all those years where you've killed animals and spilt their blood, that's all over with because Jesus said, I am the ultimate sacrifice. I am the spotless lamb of God. And he took that bread and he said, this is 
This is a picture of my broken body. You know, if you're not a, if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you've chosen to partake in communion today, I want you to know that what you're literally saying by partaking communion is, Jesus, I believe in your broken body. If you're here and you're a member of another faith or you're a member of another church, we practice what's called open communion here. We believe that anybody can come participate, but the scriptures are clear. Don't defile your body by participating in communion without acknowledging Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, and in faith in that, recognizing this is a picture of his broken body. And he prayed over this. Father, thank you for your broken body. We remember you today, and we praise you in your holy and precious name, Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen, amen, amen. And they ate. When you peel back that next layer, you get to that grape juice. I know some of you grew up in churches where you knew this is the Lord's Supper or you knew this is the Eucharist. Jesus didn't tell us a specific name that we're supposed to give it. He gave us a specific command to remember. And he took that red royal ruby wine and, and he said, when you do this, I want you to remember me. We don't do this to remember the church. I don't serve this to you because this isn't about me. This isn't about Sugar Hill Church. This is about you remembering him. But it is an ordinance of the church that we participate in together as brothers and sisters in Christ. They drank. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, for he is worthy. He is honorable. He is good. He is faithful. And he will always be faithful to you. I know it's time to go. Just sit there and let's sing a quick chorus before we go. That's what they did. <laughs>